Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast for episode number 145. With Howard Stevenberg, who's recognized as the world's fastest reader, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, with over a 90% comprehension rate, thanks to the cutting edge accelerated learning techniques that he's developed over his lifetime while working on ways to speed up reading for himself and for others. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now living in Arizona, and like many of our listeners, have been fascinated with learning and understanding the science behind high-performance strategies in our schools, sports, and the workplace with strategies that we can all use, understand, and implement for improved results. On this week's episode, we have Howard Speedy Berg, who's been recognized for setting the world record for speed reading. He's listed in the 1990 Guinness Book of World Records for reading more than 25,000 words a minute and writing more than 100 words a minute. Howard is a graduate of SUNY Binghamton, where he majored in biology and then completed a four-year psychology program in one year. His graduate studies at several New York City colleges focused on the psychology of reading. Howard is the spokesperson for the Sony e-reader, along with Justin Timberlake, Peyton Manning, and Amy Sedaris. He's appeared on over 1,100 radio and television programs, including Neil Cavuto, Jon Stewart, and Live with Regis. His brain-based learning strategies have been hailed as a major breakthrough in publications like Forbes, Men's Health, Red Book, and Bottom Line Magazine, and have been featured in dozens of newspaper interviews throughout North America. I first met Howard Berg in 2013 when I was at a conference in Chicago. I saw the importance of Howard's work and immediately went to speak with him at the end of that event. When you meet Howard, you'll see that his humble nature shines through. He told me to look at his website and see if there's anything that I could see that could help me. He wasn't just saying this, he really meant it and I knew it. I never did follow up with Howard as my programs went into the school market and it wasn't until a few years later that he was showcasing his speed reading work that I tuned in to watch him, hoping to learn something new that I could use with my two girls. I did learn a speed reading technique where he teaches anyone to read 20 to 40% faster, which is a skill we could all use these days. If you wanna learn more about Howard's courses, go to his website, berglearning.com, B-E-R-G, learning.com, and you can access his courses on speed reading for the professional level, for kids or the student edition, his memory training course, creative writing course, and mind math course. In the meantime, let's meet Howard Berg and see what he'll teach us today. Welcome, Howard Berg. It is so wonderful to see you again. And I'm not sure, even though you have such a good memory, do you remember being at Bill Walsh's event 2013? Of course you remember this, but I don't know if you would remember me coming up to you at the end of the event. You were behind the table and you're showcasing your program. And you said to me, go to my website if there's anything I can do to help you, because I was just starting to develop programs for kids in the schools. And you said, look at what I've got going and see, reach out to me if there's any way I can help you. And I knew you meant it. You remember that event? 
actually a memory very well. Um, I'm, I, that was, I was brought there by Vic, Vic Conant. He was my sponsor and he asked me to be there. And uh, I saw people there that I had, Bob Proctor was there. He just got in from Jordan on a plane. I was so impressed. He was like 83, 84. And he oh. just took an 18 hour flight, got off the plane and went right on stage. And I said, that's what I want to do when I get older. <laughs> I remember that. He won some award and I remember Vic Conant being there. And uh, yeah, that was that was quite an event. I had just launched my website. Uh, Bill's son launched my programs all online, Austin. So he was young then, but older now. But thank you so much for being here today. I'm just thrilled to have you. This is going to be a phenomenal conversation about your background in education. And I know that you cover this question with every interview you do, but can you just give a quick overview on your background on how you came to be known as the world's fastest reader? What got you here? We grew up in the projects in Brooklyn and East New York. And if you ever Google it, it was bad. It was the Wild West a lot of gangs. Um, it was worse than you can imagine. And I found one safe place in my neighborhood, the library. The gang kids would rather be dead than caught in a library. So I read, I read a lot and I read well. I had college reading when I was 11. I was reading about 3000 words a minute when I was 11, which is about 15 times higher than normal. When I went to college at 17, I went to the state University of New York Binghamton to major in biology. And my second half of my junior year, I read a book about brain-based learning and decided I wanted to be a psychobiologist, not a psychotic biologist, that's Frankenstein, a <laughs> psychobiologist, biology behavior. And I said to the dean, I want to do two majors, because back then they had to do two majors to do it. He says, well, you're, you're in your second term of your junior year, you hadn't had any psych courses, well, I have to do the whole four-year program in one year, and I was still majoring in biology and had three jobs. I was working 18 hours a week. He said, you're not smart enough. And I decided I was. I said, you know, they didn't teach me how to learn in school. They told me what to learn and why to learn and what would happen if I didn't learn, but not why. You remember a song you heard once on the radio your whole life, and then you read the seven habits of highly effective people, and you don't know any habits the next day. So I started learning how the brain works. I learned how to learn. I got up to 80 pages a minute, which got me in the Guinness record book. Uh, I did the psych program in one year and I took the graduate record exam in biology. And to review, I went through like about 40 books from the past four years, like biochemistry, cell physiology, genetics, plant systematics, it's not the light reading. It wasn't the Lord of the Rings. And I took the test and I got, uh, three questions wrong. So I was in the 99th percentile, I got an 800. And then I said, gee, I wonder if it's me or what I'm doing. There's a big difference between I'm a freak and I can read 80 pages a minute and remember, or I could teach it. So I started a school and I took kids 11 to 15, taught them what I was doing. And in one week they read a 30 chapter book in lifelong developmental psych, which is a sophomore course. They were 11 to 15. They took the clap. 15 out of 18 passed the CLEP in a week for full credit. I also taught in New York City in Title I schools for 10 years. Okay, wow, phenomenal results. And, and you've been working with schools with your strategies these days. What are you doing right now with, with the schools? There's a school in 
Oklahoma, Whitebeat. It's about 30 minutes south of Oklahoma City. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's a cow pasture and there's a school. There's more cows there than people. And the, the, the superintendent asked me to train the teachers. So I'm teaching them how to use these strategies. They ended up the, uh, the, board, the US educational uh, department awarded them as one of the top 10 tier schools in the country. You know, there's a reward if you're in the top 10% of schools. So here's a school in the middle of nowhere using these strategies in the top 10%. Uh, Linus Wright was the assistant uh, secretary of education under Ronald Reagan. He's endorsed it. The guy who invented um, the, uh, the Evelyn Woods, the, it was Tommy Thompson. He was the chairman and CEO. He had me teach his son and said, I went past speed reading to speed learning. And Barry Fowler, who was uh, the founder of, of one of the big, uh, Sylvan, Sylvan, he founded Sylvan, he's endorsed it. And so it's been very exciting. And I enjoy working with young people. Most of my students start college when they're 11 and they get A's pretty consistently. Uh, the average four-year degree now takes six years. Most of my students did it in two to three with A averages. One of them did it in six months, the whole four-year program. Well, we want to know what this is. And we live in a knowledge-based economy. So everything we do is based on what we know. And even for me, for these interviews, I've got to read people's books. And depending on how many books they've read depends on how prepared I am. And I think that that's what sets me apart is that I actually do the research on each person that you know comes on here. But it gets exhausting. And so what are the top five strategies that you would suggest to help people read faster so we can do this? It's more than reading. That's one of the mistakes people make. They think reading is learning. It's not. If it was, everyone reading a book would get an A, and we know that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So instead of just reading, I've integrated like a Swiss Army knife. I use reading to find what I need to learn, and I also teach how to figure out what you need to learn, and I'll do some of that. Then... When I find it, if I don't understand it, I use study skills to analyze it, to make it meaningful. If you read a calculus book and memorize all the equations, but don't know how to use any of them, you're still going to fail the test. You know all the equations, but you don't know what they do or why they work or how to apply them in a real situation. That's often what happens. Uh, then memory, so you don't forget what you learned. And then finally, emotional intelligence skills. Many students will learn, but they get nervous taking a test and forget everything. So there's all those skills combined are really the solution. One thing at a time won't work. No, no one of those things by themselves will provide a complete learning solution. But we could go over some of those things in more detail and explain how to get started. Sure, because I heard you talking about five things you should do when you're opening up a book. And, and just from memory, one of them was to go back and look at the questions, start with the questions. But what are five things we should do when we're opening up a book? Well, the five things you need to learn. If you only learn these five things, you will ace every course. And there's only five things. The vocabulary, which makes up about 80% of a new topic. What are the buzzwords like uh, aorta? If it's in biology, you don't know these words. You have to learn them. 
Quercus Quercus, which is a quaking aspen. You don't know that. You have to learn these things. So the vocabulary, and often how do you know which words? Well, in a textbook, they're often bolded or italic or in color. Or often, especially in textbooks, in an index or glossary, they don't they they do something to make those words look special because they are. The second thing you need to learn in a book are the names and what they did. Who's in your book? What did they do? The third thing you need to learn is any number, date, statistic, and formula. The fourth thing, and particularly in textbooks, which is what a lot of our audience is dealing with, most textbooks have have headers and subheaders, sections that demarcate thematic meaning. So what are the five big ideas or takeaways in each of those sections, the main idea? And part of learning is figuring out what those are. That, that requires some reflecting, which is part of what learning is, thinking, reflecting, prioritizing, not just looking, which is what most people do. The fifth thing is questions and answers. And what I'm telling people, and particularly in school, most of the questions are at the end of the chapter. So you read 50 pages, you get to the end of the chapter, there's 25 questions. You don't know the answer to any of them. You have to go back through the 50 pages to find the answers. No, first read the questions. Those are the 25 things the person writing the book wanted you to know when you were done. Those things should be lighting up in your brain like a beacon. That's the things the writer has prioritized out of all the things you could have learned. If you know ahead of time what the writer expects you to know when you're done, assuming they know more than you do as someone who's never done this before, when you find it in your text, you'll pay more attention to it and make it more of a priority to learn. So if you know every word and what it means, every person and what they did, every number and formula and how it's used the main ideas in every section and every question and answer, you're gonna ace your test. And here's what most people think learning is. If you ask your student, did, I, did you study? And most of them, most of them, whether they're lying or not, they'll say yes. They say, how do you know? And here's the two most common responses. I read for five hours. I read 400 pages. So what? I did a graduate course in educational psychology in seven hours the five-month course. I took the AP test, which was six hours long and 50 minutes and got a B plus. Did it matter how many hours I studied or how many pages I read? What matters? Do you know and understand the information? And this is the other part. Can you use it when you need it? That's all that matters. Did you understand it? Can you use it when you need it? How many hours you looked? How many pages? You could turn pages for five hours and not understand a single thing you looked at. You can read hundreds of pages and not know anything you looked at. You could memorize it and still know nothing about how to use any of it. You could just regurgitate what you read without any insight or understanding. So my focus, when I taught, we never did anything but essay tests. And they usually had 300 essays. And we would ask questions like, explain the genetic code. These are 10-year-olds. Explain the genetic code. If you're 10 years old and you could do 300 essays like that and get them right, you're done with high school biology. And one of my students did that in a week. 
because we taught them how to think critically, how to process and how to answer essay. You can't cheat on an essay. You either know it or you don't. You don't have to pick which is the right answer. You have to know the right answer and defend it and explain it. In most schools, they'd say, who discovered the new world in 1492? And the answer would be Columbus. We'd never ask a question like that. What was the significance of Columbus's discovery of the new world on the European nations? How did it change their economies? What impact did it have on their religious beliefs and principles? How did it affect the indigenous tribes? You actually have to know something. Mm. You can't cheat on that. And, and the problem with a lot of schools is we do social graduation. They, they get a D in addition. And then they go to subtraction and they get a D in subtraction. By the time they go to learn algebra, they can't read, write, or count. They never learned the fundamental skill. We never did that. Every student had to get an A, only an A. And you had to get it. And you didn't get it because you were there. You earned it. So when they answered a question on an essay and got it wrong, we tell them, fix it. We did that two or three times. If they didn't fix it, we gave them a clue and another one and another one. We never gave them the answer. If you don't, if you give them answers, they'll never learn how to think and solve a problem. It took time, but with practice, they learned to think and solve problems. So by the time we were done, they were 11 years old and ready to do college classes because they understood learning. They weren't just looking at a book. There's a big difference between what we did and what most schools are practicing, which is you got a D, good enough. Let's go to the next thing. They still can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why we got kids in high school that can't read, write, or count. Because they never should have been put there until they learned how to read, write, and count. And you can- And into the workplace without these skills. They were illiterate. You've yep. got illiterates getting high school diplomas. There are illiterates getting college degrees. Literally, they, they can barely function and they're getting promoted because they paid their tuition. And that's just not how you want to do education. You can do what you're doing. You can teach what you're teaching. But with a few tweaks and a few changes, everything changes. You get performance and not just social promotions. Wow, this is good. This is really good. Now, Howard, because you've been labeled the world's fastest speed reader, my instant thought is, well, how how much do you really comprehend? And so I saw you on an interview and you read 21 pages of a book in 35 seconds. And uh, I saw you doing this strategy. It was a few years ago when I actually stopped and I was watching you and you were teaching people how to do this, to improve your comprehension or your reading speed, I think it was by 20 to 40%. And then I took that and I did it myself and I did, I improved by 40%. And then I showed my daughter how to do this and she actually was able to focus more on the words. So we started using it. But how can we actually improve speed and comprehension? What, what's the fine line there? Well, I can actually demonstrate that. Yeah, Instead yeah. of talking, I can, I'll show them how to read 20, 40% faster and then what you do to improve comprehension. Would that be better than just yeah. talking about it? Yes, yes, let's do it. Okay, when we're done, pick a book you've read, preferably nonfiction. So the only thing confusing you is your speed because you already know what you're reading. 
If you're confused, it's because you're going too fast because you already know what you're reading. Get a timer and time yourself and read for a minute normal. Do nothing different to see how fast you read now. And then take a pen or a pencil, put a little, mind, little line on the page where you finish. So you've measured off your current ability to read. Now the magic. Go to the second chapter. Take your hand and go across one line at a time. Eyes following your hand. And this is important. As fast as you could comprehend. As long as you still know what you're reading, go quicker and quicker and quicker till eventually you don't. That's when you know you went too fast because you should know what you're reading. You understand this. It's too fast. Slow down just enough so the comprehension comes back. And for five minutes, go at that peak comprehension speed, no faster, with the hand keeping the eye engaged and moving. Then go back to the first chapter where you tested yourself and use your hand as fast as you could comprehend with the timer and you'll blow past the timeline that you put in by 20, 40%. And because a lot of our viewers are teachers, I'm gonna explain why we're doing that with the hand. Uh, they, they've been trained in education. So I can say things I wouldn't normally say in a reading, like visual regression. Uh, a lot of people, when they're reading, they, they keep going back with the, the dog, the dog sat, the dog sat on, the dog sat on a hill. When you're moving your hand, it forces the eye to continually look for new words. You can't go back and have visual regression. It helps eliminate it. Another problem we have, especially in younger grades, is verbalization. That's when we're in the beginning stages of reading, we tell them to read aloud. And many people never break the habit. So even when they're in higher grades, they're still pronouncing the words with their lips. So they never read faster than they can speak. When you're moving your hand, at the fastest speed you could comprehend, it's going to be faster than you could speak. And it's gonna help eliminate verbalization. The third problem we're eliminating is scattering. How many times do you get bored and you lose your place? Uh, many students said, got bored, I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate, I didn't know where I was. Your hand is like a baton of a, of a, of a maestro in an orchestra. It keeps you focused exactly where you're supposed to be and moving exactly where you need to go. And it eliminates both boredom because as you read faster, it becomes more intriguing and interesting and it eliminates being distracted because the hand keeps you engaged. It's also very helpful. And I'm trying to talk to teachers now, which is our audience, because a lot of students find reading boring because it's so slow. They're used to videos and movies that change every three seconds. You ever watch an MTV movie? It's three seconds, tops, and there's another picture. They, they have no focus like we did when we were younger. And so reading is painfully slow for them. As we begin moving our hand, we're going faster and faster, and it's approaching more of a visual speed and less of an auditory speed, helping to keep them more entertained and engaged, which is a big challenge in many classrooms. So again, I'm going in more detail than I normally would with an audience, but I'm trying to be more relevant to our listeners. Yeah, that's a very helpful strategy. So I tried it myself and then I used it with my daughter. And in some of the schools, they actually put pointers on their fingers to do this 
strategy. And I thought, I remember using that with, with Howard Berg. So what about- Wait, wait, we asked the second part. I only answered the first part. Oh, yeah. Comprehension, remember? (laughs) I have a good memory. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. After your question, because I only talked about speed. Comprehension. Many of you are familiar with the concept of schema, because we learned that when we're learning to be teachers. Uh, Here's a passage that has no schema. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and may cost you quite a bit of money. And I've given you zero schema. So the the words that are simple have no real significance to your brain. I'll read it again with one word aloud, which is the title, but that title has schema and watch how instantly your brain can comprehend the same passage effortlessly that was confusing. Laundry, laundry, this is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and may cost you quite a bit of money. So what I'm teaching is not just mechanics, which didn't work in speed reading, but how to use brain-based learning and integrate it with the technique. In the past, speed reading was terrible for learning. I was with Dick Cavett many years ago, and he told me a story about Woody Allen, who had read uh, War and Peace in five minutes using Evelyn Woods. And, and Dick said, that's incredible. What do you remember? And Woody said, it's about the Russian Revolution. That's all I remember. And that was speed reading. It's a bio book. If you slowed down to learn a word, you lost your speed. It was mechanics. You had to read fast always. That doesn't work. So what I'm teaching people is how to use brain-based learning and the hand motions. You can slow down to learn things and then go back to your top speed totally different than the old system. And so by doing that now, you can actually learn biochemistry, physics, uh, law, medicine, really high level complex material at a very high speed. Obviously, the, the more familiar you are with material, the faster you'll learn it. If you already know who George Washington is, it's going to take less time to read the history book than someone who never heard of him before. So as we gain more experience as readers, we can go quicker and quicker because we're experiencing schema, things that we know and understand. Well, what about writing, Howard? Because I have on my list to complete my third book, and I know I've got to just block off some time to do this, but I heard you say that we could write an ebook in three to five hours. So what what am I doing wrong here that I'm finding this challenging? I wrote my last book in five hours. It went number one on Amazon the next day. Okay, I can teach you that in three minutes. Okay. Really easy. Okay. Well, as a teacher, have you ever used PowerPoint? All the time. Right? All the time. And you ever use Camtasia, which I know you use? Every time I do an interview. Okay. So put together a PowerPoint presentation on what you want your book to do. And then record it in Camtasia. When you're done, if you render it as an MP4, you have a video. If you render it as an MP3, you have an audio. If you take the audio, you can go to Google Docs and under tools, they have a voice to text option. Take your speaker and put it next to your, um, put, put, put it next to your microphone 
And as your voice is coming out that you recorded in an MP3, goes into your microphone, Google Docs will transcribe it into English text. Clean up the text because it's going to make some mistakes. And that's the first draft of your book. And the slides, the slides in the book become your, your images and pictures. So you can probably do 40 to 60 pages a day in three to five hours. If you want to write a three or 400 page book, do that every day for a week. Mm -hmm. you, have four, you have about three, 400 pages of text done. You'll clean it up probably for about 10 days. You have to do the, the grammar and, you know, you want to smooth out your transitions and kind of spook it up a little like you do whenever you write a paper, you go back and say, this is just a D minus, but I can, I can clean it up and make it an A plus, but you pretty much can write a book now in, in an afternoon pretty comfortably. I'll let you know when I've done mine, because I think you made it sound so easy now. So thank you. That's incredible. Well, you also have a program on writer's block. That's the other part, how to get in flow and sustain it, because that's a different problem. Mm -hmm. Assuming the focus. you know your topic, you know, if you're doing a PowerPoint, you know how to present the topic. Now, if you don't know how to write it out and get it started, that's another set of skills that we'd have to learn to do, which are very learnable, by the way, very easy to learn. Got it. Got it. Well, listening to some of your podcasts and past work, I learned so much about you, Howard, but I loved hearing how much time that you spent studying at the library and look right behind you. Your office looks like Bob Proctor's with the bookshelf, all these books. Um, so how did you become interested in the brain way back at a time that it wasn't so important in our schools and workplaces? What, what caught your attention to the brain and learning? Actually, with two books by Conrad Lorenz. Conrad Lorenz was the father of ethology, which is the biology of behavior. Remember, I was majoring in biology, so I'd never heard of this before. It, it was a book on the evolution and modification of behavior. I remember it very clearly. And it was talking about how uh, swans and ducks would do a dance as a ritual. It was a mating ritual. The male would bob his head this way. The female would go like that. And that would make him do another dance and that would make her, and there was a trigger. Each time one of them did the next step, the other one would respond. It was all innate. It was all imprinted. It was all part of their brain function. And then it went into like, this is, this explains aggression, explains um, mating. It explains all the different emotions that we have as humans. And then I read uh, on aggression, which is his other book on how, uh, aggression is hardwired into the brain. And I said, wow, this is amazing. This is the most, of all the things I studied in biology, this is the most interesting I've seen yet. So I decided I wanted to learn it, but you gotta be more of a psychologist and not just a biologist to go in that branch. And back then it was, you had to do both majors. So that's what drew me to the psychology. I still wanted to be a biologist, but one will study behavior and it wasn't the way normal psychologists would study it. It would be like Jane Goodall, who, who went on a on on a to live with the monkeys and 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 learn their socialization skills and recognize the pattern. She was an ethologist, and that was kind of where I was headed. But then I found out when I got out, there was only two. If you got a PhD, there were two jobs for every thousand PhDs. So there's a 500 to one chance 
of finding a job after you went to school for six more years and spent $100,000 on your tuition. And because it was 500 to one, they didn't pay very well because there are certainly people out of the 500 who would work for next to nothing. They didn't need the money. So it was an impractical direction for me to go in because there was no future in it in the way normally you would pursue it. Instead, I looked at what I'd learned and found business applications for learning and scholastic applications for learning. So I had a market then of professionals who have to stay on top of vital information and students who have no choice, they have to learn and they don't know how. So in effect, I, I developed my own niche because there wasn't any other way to do it. It took a little while. I wasn't trained in business. I was trained in science. I had to read a lot of books because business is not science. There's a science to business, but it's different than what we're used to. We're nurturers in education. We help people. In, in business, you have to be a marketer. If you don't have customers, if you don't have clients, you go belly up. No matter how good your motivation or intent, you must have people come in and want to purchase what you have or you'll go broke. Oh, by the way, if they want to try the programs, they go to Berg Learning, B-E-R-G, learning.com. And there'll be a link at the bottom of this that you can use to go there. And there's some free lessons and you can try them risk-free. And I think you'll be really, really excited with some of the results you get. Definitely, because That's I've been- commercial. <laughs> <laughs> but I do try to, I make a point of helping. You, um, you sure do, Howard. I'm, I'm the president of a Rotary Club. We really try to help people. Um, it's important to me. Kids matter. I would volunteer. Any teacher who wants me to volunteer an hour to go on Zoom and teach their school some of these strategies, I would do it and for nothing. I would just volunteer and do that because it matters to me. I know I can help, and we, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. These kids are getting global warming, the virus, the exploding deficits. Let's make them smart enough to find solutions. Mm -hmm. Like Stephen, Stephen graduated UT8, 16 with a 4.0 economics degree. Not an easy degree. And at 16, he went for a master's in math at OU at 18, graduated at 19 with a 397 GPA. He's now a professor at Yale. Uh, Justin Brummett, 11-year-old C student, normal, normal kid taught him how to learn, which is what every school should do. He got his high school degree at 15, his two-year degree at 17, bachelor's at 19, master's in English at 21, English professor at 22. C student at 11, English professor. Um, one of my students was special ed, third grade reading in ninth grade. Hysterical, they were teaching her how to say, welcome to Walmart. That was a career path. We figured out how to fix it. When we got done, she finished high school and got two years of college with a 4.0 uh, while the kids in high school were still in high school. So she got a two-year degree when the kids in the school she started and finished high school had got a full scholarship to Baylor. And then after the BA, got a master's at 22. And she was a special ed student. So seeing what I'm doing, I feel the responsibility to help. So again, if any teachers would like me, I'll give you my cell phone. It, it's 214-952-9150. That's my direct line. I will volunteer an hour to any school 
to help because we need to do something to help these kids. And uh, I'm happy to do it. I think that's what we're supposed to do is if you found a cure for cancer, how hard would you work to get it in the hands of people? I think teachers know there's a cancer in our education system. And I found a way to fix it. And I wanna get it in the hands of the people watching so they can utilize it and get the results that I saw with my students so we can make a difference and maybe turn around what's going on in our country. Mm -hmm. It's appalling what we see today in this country and in the world actually. And I would like to think you're not gonna fix it through bombs, you're gonna fix it through education and making people smarter and make better choices and better understanding. That's the answer. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's why I'm here. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. This is this is wonderful. Can we go to memory? Because I had my brain scan through Daniel Amen's clinics, if you know Daniel Amen. And in the, the uh, assessment at the end, I came up with uh, a low, low score on memory recall. And this is this was last August I had the test done. And we were given a bunch of, of random things that we had to remember in the test. And I couldn't remember any of them. And I think I just gave up. And you did something on a podcast I was listening to. And you're just going to have to take my word for the fact that I listened to it last Saturday. And I was taking notes wherever I was. I was sitting somewhere, not at the house. I was somewhere else and taking notes on this piece of paper that I have not looked at. But I can go back right now and just by memory go one on the list. You had us um, memorize these 10 things. I can do it. I'll do it with your group. Oh, you can? Can I just tell you the, the, yeah. the things that I remember and see where I got no, stuck? No, no. Don't tell me. Yet. Then they'll know. You'll ruin it for oh, them. Okay. Got it. You do it. You do it then. It would be more interesting if they see how it works and then you could do it with me. Got it. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's go. Okay. Otherwise, they'll just see you do it and they won't really learn it. Got it. Got it. You do okay. it. So I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. And I know you know them, but it's pole shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. And most people who haven't learned it already don't remember it right now. There's two things you need to know. One, you only remember 10% of what you read, but 90% of what you say and do. This isn't just a memory tool. It's a way to learn uh, something I'm going to teach you afterwards in school, very, very important. So it's a tool. So you're going to want to learn it. So when I say, say it, say it, so you remember it. The Greeks discovered thousands of years ago, a memory shortcut. Take a list you know, and link it to the list you're learning. Because the list you know is hanging in your memory. And what do we do with hangers? We hang things on it. And I'm going to bet everyone watching today who's a teacher can count to 10. I feel very confident that this is an accurate statement. And I'm going to have you Use the 10 numbers you know to learn those 10 things backwards and forwards in three minutes with no effort. Starting with the number one, which looks like a pole, like a flagpole or a light pole. So when I say one, you say pole. One. Pole. Perfect. Two is shoes. How many shoes do you wear? Two. two. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Perfect. Three is a, tri is a tricycle. How many wheels are on a tricycle? Three. three. So what's three? Bicycle. Two. Shoe. One. Pole. Make sure you're doing this with us so you're learning it. Four is a car. How many tires are on a car? Four. So four is? Car. Two is? Shoe. One is? Pole. Three is? 
Tricycle. And you're looking for your picture. Five is a glove. How many fingers in a glove? Five. What's five? Glove. What's three? Tricycle. What's one? Pole. Perfect. You're getting smarter. Six gun. Six gun. When I lived in Texas, everyone had a gun. I didn't, but everyone else did. Six gun. What's six? Gun. Four. Car. Two. Two. Perfect. Lucky seven and dice. Seven. What's seven? Dice. What's five? Give me a clue. Love. Love. Three. Tricycle. One. Pull. You're almost done. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. What do they love in Texas? Six. Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoe. How many lives does the cat have? Nine. What's nine? Cat. What was lucky seven? Lucky seven dice. That's right. See, it's to be flecting. Five. Give me a clue. Glove. Three. Bicycle. One. All. Last one. Ten. How many bowling pins are in a bowling alley? Ten. What's ten? Pins. Let's do the ten numbers. One. All. Two. Shoe. Three. Bicycle. Four. Car. Five. Love. Six, Texas. Gun. Seven's lucky in. Dice? No. Eight rhymes. Yeah. yeah. Eight rhymes with. Skate. Nine is a. Cat. What was 10? Pins. Perfect. You just learned how to speed learn numbers. Suppose you're in a hotel and your room is 314. How many times by the time you got to the lobby, you didn't know the number? Here's how you learn numbers. You turn the pictures into a movie. Three is a tricycle, one is a pole, four is a car. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture that. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. A tricycle, what number? Three. It's a pole. One. On a car. Four. And that's pi in geometry for teachers. 3.14, which they never remember. So for school, we use the numbers. By the way, the zero, because the alphabet in numbers is zero to nine. That's the only thing you can do in numbers, zero to nine. Zero is the 10 bowling pins. You already know one through nine. 10 is the zero. So now you can speed memorize any number for science, for math, history dates. And of course, the teachers can use it for themselves when they take classes. Most of them go for masters and doctorates. They can use it when numbers are important and they got to memorize them. So now you know how to speed learn numbers and see how fun that was. That's what that learning was amazing. Is. Fun, fun, you know, what easy. Was, what was even better was recalling it. I was on on the exercising the other day and I was thinking one pole, trying to see how how many I remembered after that. So that was the fun part as well because you know you it it just disappears sometimes and that was phenomenal. Start learning numbers and make them into pictures. You do it for a few weeks and it'll be instinct. It'll, and if you do this in your classrooms, you can teach children at a very, very young age how to remember, which is not what we're doing. We right. teach them letters and then, then a few weeks later, you don't remember the letters they learned three weeks ago. What's the point? Shouldn't we be teaching learning before we teach content? So they actually know how to learn the content you're teaching and don't forget it. 
this drill I gave you, you can do this with three-year-olds. Literally, I've done it. They remember it. Their brains are ripe for this. So when you change your strategy from just throwing data out and expecting their brains to act like a sponge and absorb it and retain it, it doesn't happen. But if you use brain-based learning strategies, you can take their learning into the stratosphere at very young ages, very, very young, pre-K and K. So even when you're doing the fundamentals, like what's an A and what's a B, they're learning how to remember it and they're not going to forget it. And they're going to be able to accomplish much more in the higher grades as well. And so can the teachers when they take courses in college as well. You know, what was interesting about that memory thing, you know, we were talking about Bob Proctor in the beginning being at that event. He used to do this memory thing with 10. One was run. I couldn't tell you what their other ones were, but I know like 10 years down the line, I'll know at least half of yours because of the fact that you associated something with like the one was the pole, then I could actually picture the one. So that was what was missing from, or at least I didn't get it. He did by ridiculous association, like picture someone running around something. It, it, it didn't stick for me, but yours did. The answer, the problem, this, the solution should be easier than the problem or it's a new problem. And if the again, if teachers want a free lesson, this is what I do. I can show them how to read faster, remember, and comprehend, do some speed math, uh, EQ skills, make it fun and make their job a little easier. They they work real, people don't realize how hard it is to be a teacher. It's a real, they think, oh, they only work to three o'clock. No, they work to three o'clock. Then they got to grade papers. They got to go to school. They got to take classes till they get a PhD. It's costing a fortune that the school doesn't give them to take those classes. And they don't pay teachers a fortune anyway. And it's a really hard emotional job that working with 30 young people with hormones going crazy that hate each other. <laughs> it's not, a f and you're locked in the room. That's not an easy job. Right, and we were talking how I taught behavioral students and what were your students like back in the day? My students killed people. Um, my job interview was teachers get killed here. Do you want the job? And I was 21, I was like, nailed it because I was a kid, I didn't know any better. Four teachers went out on stretches in 10 years. And one was in a coma. They beat him unconscious with furniture. Uh, I saw some really bad things. There were gun shootings in the hallway, uh, stabbings. I had knife fights in my classroom in front of me. Um, that was not an easy job. But I found one thing. If I kept them laughing, they wouldn't hurt me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> as long as they were having fun. I thought I was safe. So I learned to be funny. I told stories. I told jokes. I still taught, but I learned something very, very important. When I was, I trained to be a water safety instructor when I was 17. I became a swimming teacher. And the one thing they taught me is more valuable than anything I learned in graduate school or in any ed course I ever took. It was called the law of readiness. And what they said is you can't teach someone who doesn't want to learn. It doesn't matter how good the information is. It doesn't matter how useful it would be. If they don't care, if they're not interested, you can't teach them. Your first job is to make them want to learn how to swim. And if you can't do that, they will not learn how to swim. And that is true of all learning. 
If you can't get their attention, if you can't make them want to have uh, learn to what you're teaching them, no matter what you do, they aren't hearing any of it. Their brains are somewhere else and there's no learning going on. So as teachers, part of our job is to be entertainers. I know it sounds terrible, but it's true. If you can't entertain them in this day and age, keep them happy and, and, and engrossed and having fun, they're not going to learn. I'll, I'll show you one of the things. Like I was on, I helped launch Comedy Central in the late 80s with Dennis Leary. And I was John Stewart's first guest. And you don't see too many biologist teachers as to do comedy. I was actually a biology teacher at the time. And I'm going to show you why. Uh, mushroom walks in a bar. The bartender says, get out. We don't serve your kind. The mushroom said, why not? I'm a fun guy. And that's what you need to do in the classroom. Oh and God. the kids crack up. Yeah. Everybody's having fun. Says, Let's look now what fungi are and how they work. Because wow. they're fun guys. And yeah. then you got them. You got them. They're interested. You've made it something they want to hear. Who wants to hear about a mushroom? I mean, <laughs> I mean most of you don't want to learn about a mushroom. Even if you're in biology, there's only a handful that really want to learn about mycology. But... Your job is to teach things that no one really wants to know in many cases. So the first part of the job is get them to want to know. When you've done that, the rest is easy. Right. And that's the hardest part is getting them to want to know, especially when it's they don't see any reason to want to know it. And that's what I learned how to do out of necessity, because if I couldn't do that, they'd kill me. And they would. They would have. I had notes from parole officers not parents. Uh, Gerald will be out next week. He's on trial for attempted murder and kidnapping. Literally, literally. That's a note I got from a parole officer. He's on trial for attempted murder and kidnapping. And then he's going to be back in my class along with 30 other kids in a similar mindset. It was a very, very difficult job. 2% graduated in that school. 2%. I went to the principal I said, let me help. I could teach them how to learn and bring your numbers up. I'm not going to get 100%. Obviously, if there's 2%, if it got to 20 or 30, it would be amazing. Right. He said, no, it's not in the curriculum. I'm thinking, how can I ruin your numbers? You got a 98% failure rate. Don't you think 2% of your kids could do this without a teacher? Right. Literally, you've done nothing. Absolutely nothing. I quit wow. my job to do what I'm doing because I knew I could be more effective as a consultant and trainer than I could in the classroom because they wouldn't let me do what I could do. And it bothered me. And I started my own school and saw those results I was telling you. It was, it was very satisfying to see that it was working across a wide spectrum of kids with learning problems and ADD and all the stuff, people say, it's not my fault. The kids got dyslexia. You could do so much with brain-based learning that they aren't teaching in the school system and in colleges, but that's why I'm doing what I do because I have the solutions. They're working. It, this is amazing. I, I would love to go hang out with you and go work with some schools. This is fun. This is like I had my shots by fall. Um, I'm looking to do that. I'm looking to train teachers. I'm looking to train schools, help kids. That's what I, that's what I do. That's how I make a living. And I love doing it. I enjoy it. 
and uh, I, I think that the teachers like it too, because a lot of trainers go in and say, hey, you're a teacher, what the hell do you know? I'm smart, I'm a trainer. No, I was a teacher too. I hated those people. They mm -hmm. came and said, you don't know what you're doing. You're an idiot. Let me show you the right way. And you're sitting there say, this person's never been in a classroom. They taught the Kennedy children at a prep school. <laughs> they were in a school where the average student came from a billionaire's family. No, when you go in the real world where these kids got trauma and all kinds of emotional crises going on in their lives, that's a whole nother ball game than what they taught you. The professors didn't even know what they were talking about. I was working with kids with guns and knives and they're telling me to tap my eraser on the desk to get their attention. They wouldn't even know if I shot a gun off in the room. They were so loud. You have to change, that, that won't work. Right. You get their attention by getting them entertained and enjoying what you do. Looking forward to seeing you, making it fun making it engaging. And when you've got them listening, you can teach them anything. Until that happens, you're wasting your time. You're just talking to yourself. And there's a 30 people looking at you and their minds are someplace else and they're not learning. Mm -hmm. Oh, Howard, I could talk to you all day. This is this is fun. But I, I know we've got to kind of get to the end of the questions here and get you back to what you're going to be doing next. But what have you got on your website? I know that you've offered some incredible resources for teachers, and I think everyone should take you up on an hour to work with you. Go this to the link below the video. It goes to Berg Learning. We have reading, writing, memory, and math. The reading program is really a learning program. It's how to read faster, what to look for, and know when you found it how to analyze it when you didn't understand it to make it meaningful, how to remember it so you don't forget it, and how to get in the right state of mind so you don't get nervous taking a test. I taught that to the Green Berets. I taught that to the Royal Thai Army. They're getting shot at. They got to remember what they learned or they get killed. And it's not easy to do. So I taught them how to get in the right state. And I can teach your students the same strategies. The writing program is on writer's block, how to get in flow. So when your kid says, I couldn't get, I tried to write. I couldn't think of what to say. That's not going to be a problem. Like I said, I wrote a book in five hours. When you learn how to get in flow from the minute you sit down, you start writing. You immediately get going. It's very easy. It's just like I did some of the, it's just as hard as what I showed you with memory. It's just a system. Math, this speed math. Um, we didn't have time to do speed math today, but it's a lot of fun. You could do amazing things in math. But students, do you have time for me to do one? Yeah, do it, do it. Let's say you got 103 times 107. Do it in your head right now, no calculator. You should have the answer. If you don't have the answer, you're taking too long. Let me show you how it works. Both numbers are bigger than 100 and both numbers are near 100. How much bigger than 100 is 103? Three. How much bigger than 100 is 107? Seven. So picture the 103 on top of the 107 with an underline, like the multiply. So next to the 103 on the right, you put the three. Next to the 107 on the right, you put the seven, the differences. Let's multiply the two differences. What's three times seven? 21. You're almost done. That's the last two numbers in the answer. Now you add diagonally. 103 plus seven is 110. Or 107 plus three is 100 and 
110? It's always the same. So pick the easier way. Write down 110, 21. 103 times 107 is 11,021. 110, 21. So when I get a kid telling me, and I'm sure they've experienced this and are listening, it's too hard. I can't do math. They can't. They believe it's too hard. And then they believe it, it is. Mm-hmm. That's an EQ problem. So I teach them these problems that I just showed you. And look, you're doing math. So you can't tell me you can't do math. You just did. They can no longer hold on to that belief that math is too hard because it isn't and you're doing it. So we teach them speed math and then we can teach them all the other things we want because the fear of math goes away when they succeed. And then there's the writing, so it's reading, writing, memory, and math. And I also have a support team that'll help them. And if they don't help, I help. Uh, I make sure that you get what you paid for. And I want to know what problems you're having so I can fix them and make sure the next time I make the program, that problem goes away. And that's why I need to know what's going on. It's very important. And over the years, I've done it enough times that very few problems now. And uh, I do my best to make sure that everyone learns the skills that'll help your teachers get their doctorates and master's degrees in a fraction of the time. I can show them how to learn a college course in one fifth the time. It'll help their students learn and retain what they're teaching so that when they take tests, they get better grades, which is something every teacher would like to see. And it'll help the kids feel better about school and develop self-esteem so they actually want to finish their studies and not drop out because after studying as hard as they could, they failed anyway. And they saw no purpose in continuing to do what doesn't work. And they're kind of right. If you keep getting punished for doing something, how many times can you expect someone to keep doing that? And that's why there's so many smart kids dropping out because they don't know what they're doing wrong and we don't fix it. And that's what these programs will do. And if they want me to come and do a free hour on a Zoom meeting, I would do it. And I do charge to do like full trainings for schools, but it's very reasonable and it'll help them to become uh, a top tier school like the White Beach School did in Oklahoma. Love it. So for people to find you, they just click that link and everything will be there that they'll need to know. Um, and there's that, that would be the best place. You would yes, say. absolutely. And uh, they can also reach me through the website. They can ask questions from the support people. And we're always looking to help. I, it's very important to me. The kids are our future. I'm a grandparent. And the way our future looks right now is not good. When we were kids, we knew if you went to school and studied hard and got a degree and worked hard, you would be happy and successful. You'd have a good life. That isn't true anymore. You could have 10 PhDs and be broke. It just doesn't matter anymore what you know. You have to know things people will pay you to do. And we have to learn how to be smart enough to make changes quickly in our careers when what we're doing doesn't work anymore. And that's what I'm teaching. I'm teaching, that's why I taught the Green Berets because when they get out of the army, a lot of them don't have jobs. There's 20 of them committing suicide every day. And so once a year, I do a free program for them the wounded warriors to prepare them for college so they can get degrees and not kill themselves. They've done enough. Well, this thing's true with your students. So many of them drop out because they gave up. 
What do what they were doing didn't work, but you didn't teach them how to learn. You told them what to learn. They didn't do it right. It failed over and over. They gave up. We can fix that. And the same with the corporate world, right? A lot of people's jobs with COVID have changed and they have to learn new skills. And even with, with what I'm doing here, I'm always having to create something new, learn something new so that people will pay for it. It's nonstop. It never- Nonstop. You want to succeed in an information-rich world? Bill Gates reads a book a day. Oprah reads a book a day. Jack Ma reads a book a day. Uh, Elon Musk reads two books a day. Whose bank account do you want? Yours or theirs? I was a teacher. I did a commercial, made 65 million. I didn't keep the 65 million, the commercial made 65 million because I learned. I learned how to sell. I learned how to communicate, how to connect, and how to provide a service that people would pay me for. Uh, they can do it too. They could keep their jobs, have, have the, the pensions and all the wonderful, and start a side business at night or on weekends right. to make some extra revenue and have some fun how you learn you learn that's the way it's done you learn and i can show them how to do that so they don't only get better grades help their kids they can improve their own lives and be more productive and profitable and that's what life's about having a life it is it is howard berg this has been phenomenal i've had a blast speaking with you today i want to thank you so much for being here for also offering your help all those years ago. And I believed that you meant it. And when I reached out to you, it was within hours that this interview was set up with your team. It's a phenomenal team to work with you. And I just hope we stay in touch. I'd love to continue to, to hear what you're doing with the schools and share what, what we're doing over here. Thank I'd you like so much. Thank you. Do something together. I'd love that. I welcome. I always look to help and one of the ways you succeed in this world, I used to lecture with Zig Ziglar, help other people get what they want. When you, give other, when you help other people get the things they want, you get the things you want as a result. That's how it works. That's so true. Thanks so much, Howard. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Go to berglearning.com. Use the link below, and you'll be amazed with your results. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.